0: Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the Filmmaker's Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. On this episode, we welcome back filmmaker and television producer, Roberto Mighty. Roberto's gonna join me to talk about two programs of his that are currently airing on PBS, World's Greatest Cemeteries and Getting Dot Older. On World's Greatest Cemeteries, Roberto travels to some of the world's most renowned burial sites, touring masterpieces of landscape, gardens, and culture. Each episode includes a stunning visual tour of one of the world's greatest cemeteries. Here's the trailer.
1: The world's greatest cemeteries hold more than mortal remains. They are monuments to landscape, design, horticulture, and history. Now, this dog looks pretty familiar. And over here, it says, in memory of... Toto from The Wizard of Oz. He, along with Leonard Bernstein, are the most visited, the most asked about people here at the
0: cemetery. I will be speaking for the equality of the sexes.
1: And there's a significant difference in elevation between the pond level and the hilltop level. He decides that he's going to sign up for the Union Army. Why? Even though he had moved to Canada. It is, in fact, the 42nd anniversary of the creation of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Season 1 brings us stories about diverse people and breathtaking burial grounds in London, Paris, Cambridge, Hollywood, Cincinnati, Brooklyn, and more. Welcome to World's Greatest Cemeteries.
0: Getting Dot Older features intimate revelations about aging from a diverse group of baby boomers. The series premiered nationwide in January of 2022. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum, from providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs. Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, follow, and share. And now, on to my conversation with Roberto Mighty. Roberto Mighty, welcome to Making Media Now. It's great to have you back, a return guest.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. It's a real pleasure to be back, and your awesome show.
0: We chatted uh, in winter of last year, so winter of 2021, mm-hmm. and I, I'm almost positive both of the programs that we're going to talk a little bit about today uh, were just getting underway. And it's just it's it's wonderful to see them out in the world. And by them, I'm referring to your series uh, "Getting Dot Older." which has been running since January on PBS stations across the country, and Mm -hmm. World's Greatest Cemeteries, uh, which premiered in October of last year. Uh, But for our listeners in the Boston area, uh, that that series, that it's six 30-minute episodes, will be premiering on April 17th. Uh, which is just around the corner. Um, Mm -hmm. So not surprisingly, you're a very busy man. And I want to talk about both of these, these programs, but I want to start first with World's Greatest Cemeteries. Mm -hmm. And a couple of things uh, remind me of the genesis of this project. Uh, How did the idea come to you? And um, how did you decide to Um, take the approach that you did take, which is um, almost kind of like a magazine format in the sense that each of the six episodes, uh, you visit a a notable cemetery in places far flung and wide ranging. We've got Cambridge, Massachusetts, London, England, New York, Los Angeles, Cincinnati, France, and Mm -hmm. that's just season one.
1: (laughs) That's right. Well, thank you for asking. Um, So in 2014, I was appointed um, America's first uh, artist in residence at a National Historic Landmark Cemetery. And for um, your listeners in Boston area, that was uh, the Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, at that time, you know, I, I didn't know that I was the first one in the country to be doing this. I just thought, Man, I'm really honored, you know, to have been asked to be their artist in residence. And what does an artist in
0: residence do? Because I've heard the phrase, um, uh, you know, uh, more than
1: once. Right. So it it does vary depending on the uh, the terms of the appointment. But in this case, they knew that I was a filmmaker and a multimedia artist, and so they they asked me if I would be interested in doing a. films and multimedia about their historic cemetery. And I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Of course, you know? And um, so what I did was over two years, I made 29 original short films about people that are interred or buried in that cemetery. And some of those films were also simply about the landscape and the history of the cemetery itself. My background prior to that, I just come off of an 18-month artist residency at Harvard Forest, um, where I did a piece about um, the certain area of Massachusetts um, in the 17th century. I did a piece about the clash of cultures between the Puritans and the indigenous peoples, you know, the Native Americans. And so I had a whole lot of um, background in landscape, land use, and so forth. So this was a beautiful, natural progression.
0: And how did you go about choosing which cemeteries you wanted to feature in the series?
1: Well, after uh, 2016, after I finished my two year residency at Mount Auburn, I was pretty well steeped in cemetery culture. Before that, I was just a regular civilian, you know. So after two years of prowling around there and um, hanging out with historians, um archivists and cemetery people, I learned that there were these beautiful cemeteries all over the world, many of which, most of which were actually built around the same time, which is the um the early 19th century, so around 1819, 18 to 1845 or so. And um whether it's Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris or uh Highgate Cemetery in London or Spring Grove Cemetery in Cincinnati and so forth. These cemeteries are all made around the same time. So I was really fascinated by that history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going back, of course, there are these wonders of the world that we don't I don't think we think of as cemeteries, but they are. So, for instance, um, King Tut's tomb, that's a cemetery, right? The Taj Mahal in India. Well, that is, you know, again, that's a certain kind of cemetery that we call a mausoleum as a structure that's built generally for one person and and that person's family, um, the Pantheon in Paris. So these are all places which are, in fact, world landmarks. And they are also burial places
0: did, as a as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, uh, did the storytelling possibilities um Around cemeteries, did did they immediately come to mind for you, uh, or or did it take some reflection?
1: That's a great question, and uh, I think it started when we were kids. Our parents would tell us about uh, reciting poetry in the cemetery near where they went to college. So our parents met in college um, at um, at a historically black college in Ohio called Wilberforce University, mm-hmm. and um, they met they met there. And um, apparently they used to go and recite poetry in that cemetery. And what's funny is that our parents were of that generation where, you know, they were the kind of people who recited poetry all the time, you know? And so I, when I was a kid, I thought that the word cemetery meant place to go to recite poetry. (laughs) (laughs) So I was disposed to having a very positive view of them. Well, you know, what's um, great about your series
0: is, uh, first of all, it's, it's beautifully made. Uh, the, the, (laughs) the, uh, photography, um, is just so engaging and really does justice to the diversity of landscape and design Mm -hmm. style, uh, and the horticulture, you know, within, within each of the properties and, and your delivery, um, there's something almost poetic about your delivery. It's very different than just like a stand up and a toss to a particular segment. Um, did you, you script yourself or did you did you just feel that you were going to kind of go with the vibe of the setting?
1: I got to say that I would script myself like ahead of time in you know, like in the hotel room or something. But to be honest, the vibe, that's a great way you put it. The vibe of these settings I mean, these cemeteries are designed landscapes. Every single one of them is a designed landscape. And the design is to make people feel better, is to make them feel calm and relaxed, to comfort the grieving and all that. But also, these places, even from the very beginning, were massive tourist attractions. Right. And so as a result, the gently rolling hills... The uh, placement of some spectacular monuments, um, the the fact that they left these incredible mature trees, you know, that all of these cemeteries feature um, outstanding um, arboric culture, as we call it. And in fact, many of them are certified arboretums, you know, for their city or for their country. Then, of course, as you pointed out, um, I mean, the horticulture yep. is outstanding. I mean, these are truly horticultural showplaces as well. And so a place like Mount Auburn Cemetery, which gets, you know, up to a quarter of a million visitors per year, and a visitor is not like people coming to see their loved ones, graves, mm-hmm. right? The tourists. Um, a place like that, I think has this, um, I mean, they, they have massive staffs, you know, yep by people who themselves have years of experience and degrees in horticulture, arboriculture, um, art. There are archivists. Uh, there are historians. I mean, these are are pretty big cultural institutions. In fact, Michael, I, they are museums. Like, really, that's what they are. They are yeah. outdoor museums.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, um, Uh, I have several relatives buried in Mount Auburn, uh, but uh, my grandmother, when she was alive, uh, lived right off of Mount Auburn Street for years. Mm. And I can remember being a kid with her and walking from Harvard Square. We would walk through uh, Mount Auburn Cemetery. And for me, it was just the coolest park in the world. (laughs) You you know, not not making the connection. Um, I'm curious... If you felt, back to this word vibe, if you felt that the, the, the various cities, the Cambridge, the Londons, the L.A.s, the, the um, France, um, mm-hmm. if the setting, the vibe of the setting was reflected in the cemetery?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so there are certain ideas about landscaping. In the uh, early 19th century, that are common across Western civilization, if you will, mm-hmm. and these ideas ideas get promulgated um, by people, um, by landscape architects. You know, a few of whom are very well known, like people like, oh gosh, I'm not blinking. Well, uh, f- um, Frederick Law Olmsted. Sure. Now, Frederick Law Olmsted did not design Mount Auburn Cemetery, but um, a person like him designed many other public parks. So again, you, you nailed it. These are parks. Mm -hmm. In fact, these places were usually when they were first built, they were built on the outskirts of the city for reasons, which I guess we'll talk about later. But what happened over the decades, over the centuries is that, you know, so they were built like over here, right away from the city, but then the city kind (laughs) of crept and encroached and surrounded them. So you get a place like Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, one of the truly greatest cemeteries in the world. It's 500 acres on the highest point in Brooklyn. It's 500 acres of green space. Now, if you were a developer, what would it cost you to develop? I mean, these places are of incalculable monetary value. Yeah. um, And they are they are wildlife preserves, arboretums and gardens of the highest order.
0: And, you know, when I... when I was watching the episode that took place uh, at Hollywood Forever Cemetery yeah. in L.A., first of all, can we talk about a more Hollywood name than Hollywood <laughs> Forever?
1: <laughs> I know. It's like a different aesthetic out there in it, the West Coast, right? It you
0: reminded know? me of like a 1990s video store name. <laughs> like, <Right>. Hollywood <laughs> Forever, I'm going down to rent, rent a VHS. But yeah. the juxtaposition between Hollywood Forever in in Los Angeles and Mount Auburn in Cambridge you, I even got the sense that there was a degree of, you know, uh, post mortem showmanship uh, <laughs> that was that was at play in the cemetery in Los Angeles. Um, there were several, uh, like I, you featured Judy Garland's yes. um, tomb. Which right. was like a small house, frankly, <laughs> uh, right? And and uh, the, we actually see Toto. We see a we see uh, Toto, monument right. to Toto, uh, right. and there were a number of other notables. Oh, a, a, the the great monument for Joey Ramone, uh, amazing!
1: That, that that's the coolest monument I've ever seen. You know, yeah, yeah. I've it seen.
0: almost felt like the people who were buried in Hollywood Forever Cemetery put as much thought into their kind of their star brand um, and how to preserve that for the ages. And that seemed very reflective of that particular slice of culture.
1: I think that's a very astute point you're making. Um, In fact, I I go, um, I, I would amplify that just a bit and say that, but that is present in every cemetery you think of like the biggest star brand cemetery of all time is King Tut's tomb. Right. I mean, like, (laughs) I mean, the guy's, you know, got like gold and jewels and his servants are all there, you know, with him and all that. Uh, The Taj Mahal is another, you know, star brand. Every single one of these cemeteries, even when we come to some of the places where you you might think of a sort of traditional. Well, that tradition, um, there's no tradition of having some of these very large, ornate mausolea. Um, before the uh, 19th century, you know, that people were buried in churchyards. Sometimes they were buried in their backyards. Yep. Or um, maybe every once in a while, you know, smaller places. But this whole idea of having the rural garden cemetery, that was actually a, a worldwide, well, a Western world movement mm-hmm. um, that has a very, you know, clear beginning, you know, in the early 1800s. And then it spreads across. By the way, um, for those people in the Boston area, uh, Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, Massachusetts, is actually the first um, rural garden cemetery in America. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And quickly followed by others. So one of the reasons why some of these cemeteries might look a little similar is that, um, you know, they were very much influenced by some of those initial ones.
0: Another thing that's, that's really notable about the series is that you intersperse, um, dramatic reenactments often, mm-hmm. uh, focusing on either, uh, individuals who were buried in these particular cemeteries or individuals whose, uh, mission in life or sometimes struggle in life had to do tangentially with, with the area that, that you were in. So a couple of questions around that. How did you feel sort of taking off your host hat and putting on your director hat and mm-hmm. and coming up with these with these vignettes? And what was from a storytelling perspective, uh, what was the objective of including these?
1: Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, well, you know, I actually have a degree and I have an undergraduate degree in history. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my parents were all over like history. So. History was like a big talk in our household when I was growing yep. up. But I became aware that even though there are many history buffs, for a lot of people, um, history isn't as interesting as it is to you and me. <laughs> you know? So I really felt that um, what could I do to help bring some of these stories to life in a very you know, concrete way? And it occurred to me that, in fact, Having these vignettes, these historical reenactments of pivotal moments in the lives of some of these great historical figures, you know, that could work. Um, you know, I'm a director and cinematographer, so it was also fun. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, fun to work with uh, actors and costumers and props people and all that to really put together these scenes that would. More so than, you know, me talking with a great historian or expert, it would just bring another dimension, you know, of drama to it.
0: Did you discover um, any trends that either have moved through the, the decades in terms of cemetery design, cemetery maintenance, um, and, and maybe more contemporary approaches to both cemeteries and burials?
1: In fact, um, yeah, that's that's a really good one. Um, let me just share a couple of uh, really interesting cemetery trends. One is some of our um, landmark historic cemeteries mm-hmm. around the world. They are no longer cutting the grass. And, you know, that's revolutionary yeah. um, because if you think of a cemetery, there's a certain look. Sure. Right. that yep. we have in mind that's a manicured lawns and that it's symbolizes of like course. Yeah, exactly. Almost like a golf course. And that symbolizes care and precision and, you know, a sense of safety and tradition and all that. But of course, you know, what people are finding is that what it takes to maintain that look artificial, in many cases, artificial fertilizers, you know, which can cause issues with runoff, right. Into local waterways or even into the local water table. Sure. Um, Pesticides um herbicides um you know to cut down on weeds not so when you have these massive wildlife preserves the thought is now the trend is to stop cutting grass let the grass grow longer and you know reseed itself and i mean reseed, right mm-hmm. another idea is to in fact um do wild literally wildflower meadows Right. And um, so that in fact, in one of the shows, I talked with the director of horticulture and she describes a hillside that looks amazing. It looks beautiful. Right. But she said well, what that took was people down in the hands planting, at, I think something like 500 plants, like 500 individual. Right. You know, seedlings. So after it grows in, it looks amazing. But it actually takes a lot of work. What's
0: interesting about cemeteries, too, is that, you know, the. Uh, the times in people's lives when they're at cemeteries, um, you know, for that that end of the funeral, for that uh, internment, um, tends to probably be the time that they are the least aware of the beauty that surrounds them, just given the emotional component, you know of, of being there. And yet, I, when I was watching several of the episodes, it's almost like the cemetery itself is offering a type of solace to the bereaved in saying that they're in a good place. You are surrounded by, I mean, you're, you're literally surrounded by the circle of life. These beautiful exactly. trees will shed their leaves, but they will return. This, this perfectly manicured landscape is really, uh, you know, um, we're doing landscaping, but nature calls the shots as to which past patch of grass is going to grow abundantly one year or, you know, which sector of flowers. And so um, it's it's like this gigantic living metaphor for the entire cycle.
1: I, yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these people who run these cemeteries, and by the way, many of these cemeteries are actually run by volunteers hmm. um, because, you know, they really believe in this movement. Um, the people who run these cemeteries are dead serious about making them places of beauty, as right. you're saying, I mean, you put it perfectly. And um, a lot of resources go into making it look, you know, wild and beautiful and manicure it all at the same time you know a lot of thought and care yep. and resources. pretty much every single one of these cemeteries if you look just out of sight you'll see you know groundskeepers working every day sure you know, yeah every season to give it that look like all those beautiful trees actually need to be trimmed don't they right Absolutely. you know and yeah. you have to be careful of certain kinds of plants you don't really want poison ivy around the, the headstones and and when you come into these cemeteries that are hundreds of acres you know um, in size well again that show, that bespeaks a uh, a coordinated effort in fact i'd say that it's like a small army of people no that doubt. Give, it, give it these looks
0: speaking of meticulous planning uh, as I say, for season one of world's greatest cemeteries is six 30 minute episodes, but with each, within each 30 minutes, um, there are chapters or segments, so to speak. What was your planning process, uh, for season one? And if I'm not mistaken, season two is well underway in terms of at least being, being, uh, drawn out in, in, in terms of where you, uh, might want to visit.
1: So each episode is actually 26 minutes and 46 seconds long. And let me tell you, man, it's like every minute, every second. (laughs) Um, I mean, it takes months to put these episodes together, to put a season together. Sure. No. And in fact, um, we were going to do 13 episodes the first season, but we couldn't really travel as much because of COVID. Yeah. So that put a big internet travel but for this next season yeah we're already underway already um I can tell you some of the cemeteries that have agreed already to be in and yeah, one thing I'm making now
0: find, scoop I'm making yeah, hey, this now is actually exclusive.
1: the first time that people will have uh, heard some of these um mm-hmm. yeah so there's the Pere Lachaise cemetery in Paris which is you know many consider that to be the the, the grandparent of all. Wow. You know, yeah. these rural garden cemeteries. It's a place with people. Uh, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, Edith Piaf, um, Jim Morrison of the doors is buried there. Oh, wow. Um, Frederick Chopin, you know, the wonderful classical composer and pianist, and on and on and on and on. So um, they've already agreed um for season two. Wow. Um Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, in Bronx, New York, yep. where um Duke Ellington is buried. Um Miles Davis, Bat Masterson, remember Bat Masterson? (laughs) He's actually buried in the Bronx at Woodlawn Cemetery. Um, You know, many others Um, down in Kentucky, the Cave Hill Cemetery in Louisville, Kentucky, where Muhammad Ali, the great uh, American heavyweight boxer, is is buried there. And many others have already come on board. Oh, here in Massachusetts, our own Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Where uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau and Louisa May Alcott, how you know, they conquered. Yeah, these are like amazing. Um, you know, some of the greatest authors. Yeah, uh, the Transcendentalist the movement. Ben, uh, you're right on it. Exactly, that's right like part yes. of that. If I may, that brings me to another point here. I do try to link, you know, these um, the individuals that that we do, that we do stories on. Mm-hmm. I try to link them together in some way. And that was perfect. What you just said. Yeah. So yeah. that it gives me a chance. It gives the historian in me a chance to say, okay, what was the transcendentalist movement? Why was it here in New England? Why was it here in Massachusetts? What did yep. that mean? And so forth. Yes. I do try to do that in each cemetery. So it's not, I mean, the process of picking four or five people out of literally thousands, tens of thousands of people is very, very tough. It's very, very fraught. You know,
0: yeah, no doubt. And and you produce this series uh, through your own production company, Celestial Media, correct? And correct. while the series is running on PBS stations throughout the country, um, the presenting um, affiliate or organization is APT, which people may see on their screen at the end of the credit roll, which stands for American Public Television. Without getting too much into the weeds about that, uh, talk about the relationship uh, for independent producers such as yourself american public television and the and the pBS networks of the world
1: oh, man that's a great question and um, so what happens is as an independent producer you have an idea for a show oh wow it would be cool to do a show about X and however there's a lot of protocols and things to know about what the public television stations as a group do um, want in terms of, you know, their own standards and practices. Mm-hmm. And it it runs to many, 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 many pages of information. And so what what um, is needed? It's important that independent producers get instruction and coaching, you know, on things you can and can't do on public television. And um, this is a considerable amount of information that has to be transmitted. So one of the things that... Um, you 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 have to get you have to get a distributor like american public television which is you know widely considered to be you know the finest of the independent distributors yeah then you also need what's called a presenting station and the presenting station you know nominally presents your program but also they're going to work with you the independent producer to say okay that's a great idea and you know we're not going to tell you what to say but we are going to share with you what you shouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> do. Yep. And it's not necessarily intuitive. when I mean, you really, as an independent producer, you really need that presenting station to guide you through the maze of public television standards and practices. And by the way, FCC, you know, Federal Communications Commission, um, lot legal, you know, issues. Mm-hmm. And, um, then what a um, American public television or APT does is they actually, have arrangements with the public television stations. So they actually are the ones that put your uh, finished masters up on a satellite mm-hmm. um, for a retrieval by the public, by each station. Yep. And every station makes its own schedule, which is mind boggling. So my shows are running on over 247 stations around the country um, each one of us, which makes its own schedule. You know?
0: Yeah, I've, I've heard that yeah. and i have experienced that, having worked on an APT program myself that, right. you know, someplace in Des Moines is showing us yeah. at, you know, 1130 a.m. <laughs> on Wednesdays and, and somebody else is showing us at 7 p.m. on Saturdays. You know, it's uh, a no universal so, carriage.
1: That's right. So I get uh, I get fan mail all the time, like at any time, you know, because they're different time zones. Right. Right. And so um, it's delightful to get fan mail. But I got to say, you know, it's like, wow, okay, I'm going to answer this fan right now (laughs) and get out of bed.
0: Well, you know, what's so great is that the that sort of 30 minute block or the 26 or 24 and change that you just mentioned. I mean, that's just sort of the one entry and, you know, these days with people having DVRs and with the, uh, your World's Greatest Cemetery also has a great website. Um, Thank you. And, and it, it's, it's very interactive. Um, there's yes. an opportunity for, you know, viewers to make recommendations around cemeteries that, you know, that they would um, recommend you visiting. But also there's some really heartfelt stories uh, around connections that, that individuals have, um, so I I would definitely encourage listeners to check out the world's greatest cemeteries website to get a a real comprehensive experience of the entire show. Um, and I don't want to um, I don't want to give short change to uh, getting dot older you, your mm-hmm. your other series that's currently running on PBS. Um, right. I'm sure on certain markets on certain weekend afternoons it's the Roberto Mighty Block in the after, <laughs> afternoon. <laughs>
1: Actually, now The started- clever
0: programmer is going to run Getting Dot Older before the cemetery. <laughs> show.
1: <laughs> you got it. Exactly. Well, you know, Getting Dot Older is a project that I started as an independent producer um, eight years ago. And it started by me just asking my like with my camera, on my shoulder, you know, asking my my friends. So, like, how do you feel about getting older? You know, and they'd say, Roberto, stop bothering me, or else they'd you know, they start to answer. And um, I was impressed um with the things that people were telling me. And then I thought, well, maybe this might make an interesting um series mm-hmm. on television. Getting that older is actually a docu talk show where um I talk with just regular people from Alaska to Puerto Rico, right? Just all from all over the states. And they are 50 and over, but mostly baby boomers. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And and um, I asked them some really intimate questions about their lives. So questions about, you know, birth, death, sex, intimacy, religion. Um, and what's so wonderful is that people I'm finding so many people that are willing to share really, honestly, their deepest secrets. Um, about their lives in the interests of just kind of showing how universal we all are, how universal our experience of living and aging is. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't create the show for this purpose, but I have to say, um, since I started this program eight years ago, uh, you know, our country is getting pretty gosh darn divided, right? You know, about all sorts of issues, and one wonderful thing that viewers of Getting that Older say again and again is that, wow, you know, it never occurred to me that um, an Alaskan Native American gentleman might be feeling some of the same things as a um, a, a woman, uh, an opera singer from Puerto Rico. Like literally, these are two <laughs> these sure. are two separate people that are actually in the show. Yeah, and when you strip away some of the identity stuff, you know, some of the politics, and just get into what makes us human. Um, as we age people, I think it's wonderful that people are just sharing with me and therefore with the audience, sure. um, their experience of, wow, everything from losing an adult child, um, you know, to violence, everything from, you know, losing a partner after 45 years of marriage, um, taking care of an elderly parent with um, Alzheimer's disease or some other, you know, chronic disease or chronic, uh, you know, mental deficiency. Mm -hmm. And um, another thing that's happening is that it's not just people, you know, sharing their big secrets. It's also, um, I'm really lucky to have experts from the greatest institutions in the nation, like Harvard university, Howard university, Johns Hopkins medical school who comment, you know, provide commentary, you know, on some of these issues. Um, So these experts come in and they have, you know, really brief interviews that I do with them to say, okay, well, several people have mentioned issues around, you know, let's say um, caring for an elderly uh, parent. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that you wish they would know or some things that, you know, and so these experts are great. They get right in there and they really help people to understand the facts behind some of the very emotional experiences that that my guests are having on the show.
0: Yeah. And, you you know, you you touched upon it when you were making your observation about the fact that, you know, the very fact of all of our shared mortality uh, right there illustrates that there's really more that unites us than divides us. And hopefully it doesn't take the entirety of a lifetime to figure that out but also, you know, you're you're presenting getting dot older at a time where um the range of what's possible within, you know, particular uh demographics uh just is is continually um uh redefined that
1: absolutely you know,
0: what does what does being 55 mean? What does being 65 mean? What does being 75 mean? I mean, it's it's really it's a cliche, but it's what you decide it's going to mean
1: that is so true um, i have to say that so i conduct these interviews um, pretty much every day so um, so every day i'm interviewing someone from some part of the country you know who's volunteered to come on to the show i ask everyone the same questions and you're so right there are people who at you know age 72 75 80 are just for instance they're just you know Uh, building a a peach orchard, (laughs) you know, or they are just doing a certain kind of volunteer work that they've always wanted to do, but didn't have the time for. Have you
0: noted any, any um, commonality or uniformity of like, in the people that you interview for getting dot older, is there a particular mindset that, that those who remain say vital and optimistic share that others might lack
1: you know that's that's a good good question and i must be honest um i haven't yet sort of quantified you know trends i it's something which i what i want to do i gotta say what i've noticed everyone is different i mean and you just wouldn't know like i like to to say that it's that person's you know at the supermarket next to you that you wouldn't look twice at yeah. who has had the most unbelievable life experience. Sure. Um, and that's what my show is good at uncovering. Um, I think you're onto something though, you know, there's been a fair amount of um, scholarship mm-hmm. around, you know, what people bring to the situation, you know, when they come to a situation that's a, that's adverse versus something that they think is positive, mm-hmm. you know, and you're right. You know, a certain kind of personality is going to respond a certain way to this, and another kind of personality. You know, no matter what you put in front of them, there's going to be something wrong with it. You know, um, but also I have to say that a lot of people um, get beaten down by certain life transitions. Sure. And among those is honestly, you know, losing um, a sibling, losing a child, losing an adult child. Yeah. Um, even losing a parent, you know, it's. Um, I remember, by the way, in my own uh, case when my dad uh, was near the end of his life yep. and he died at 94, even though I was in my sixties, like he was still like, are you okay? You know, do you need any money?
0: <laughs> or Exactly. You know, I was like, dad,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't need any money. And I'm fine. Dad, you're in the hospital. Can we just talk about you? Yeah. you know? Yeah. And no, you're right, Michael, he was still my father and I was still his kid.
0: You know, it's interesting in Western society where we're so youth obsessed, um, let alone life obsessed that, you know, getting old, which is going to happen to everybody. You know, I always say you've got two choices. You either age or you stop aging, which is going to land you in one of the world's greatest cemeteries. But <laughs> exactly for you as a storyteller, I think to to say, no, there's there's important stories to be told in talking to um, uh, y- people who find themselves in the process of getting older. Right. And then there's also equally important stories to tell about about culture and and about nature and about the the um, the historical march of ideas through world's greatest cemeteries. I'm I'm guessing that you have the ability to look at a story that another filmmaker might might not see potential in, and you draw the richness out of it.
1: Well, um, you know, there's so many wonderful filmmakers and I, I appreciate um, everything you said. And you know what I think, I think that every producer brings their own ideas to it and, you know, and every producer has idiosyncratic viewpoints. I'm no exception. So, you know, my father's from Panama, you know, my mother's from Cincinnati. Um, we grew up in, I grew up on military base in Anchorage, Alaska, and then we moved to, um, uh, uh, queens New York um you know I had two brothers uh, you know these are all things that play into my consciousness and my perceptions of the world um you know I'm both african American and Latin American that plays into my my own personal sense of always being an outsider like in any room yeah you know sure. and right and so by the way I'm really attracted to outsiders in um both shows right so in world's greatest cemeteries, I'll go to France and I'll find someone like Edith Piaf, who is an amazing legendary uh, singer, you know, cabaret singer in, mm-hmm. in France who was herself an outsider. She grew up a really, really poor kid on the streets of Paris, literally singing, literally singing for her supper, you know, wow. on the streets of Paris. That person really appeals to me, you know, um, because I guess in some weird way, I I know what it feels like to always not belong anywhere, you know. Um, And that's just one example of the many, many, you know, um, outsiders. Uh, Frances Wright uh, um, was a Scottish born American feminist in the 19th century who settled in Cincinnati. And she used to travel around the country arguing for the right of women to have birth control. This was like, you know, before the Civil War. Wow. Holy moly. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah. This That's is even pre
1: Margaret Sanger. Exactly. It's like, my gosh, you know, what animated that person? Dorothea Dix, who was buried right here in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, yep. um, was America's earliest, most successful proponent of putting um, people who were, um, at that time, they called them insane. Sure. Okay. You know, putting insane people. In institutions, as opposed to having them chained up in basements, yes. you know, chained up in in um, outbuildings on farms, which is where they had been for hundreds of years, right. you know, prior to her, um, you know, bringing that European movement to the United States. So, you know, these are, you know, some of the uh, extraordinary individuals um, that appear in world's greatest cemeteries, and I think that in getting dot older, I'm also looking for. A person who, you know, did something a little bit um, different. You know, had yeah, some it took experience.
0: that it took that somewhat different path.
1: Right. Exactly. It,
0: it, it, and I remember the first time you and I spoke, I referred to you as a Renaissance man, and you know, <laughs> the the opinion holds. And we haven't even talked about this, but I encourage listeners. Just Google Roberto Mighty or go on YouTube and put in Roberto Mighty your talent as a musician. We don't even have time to talk about that right now. And it's not just the guy who sits back and maybe strums a guitar a little bit. But, man, (laughs) you your interpretation of certain songs and your presentation is just it it. I'm going to stop talking about it and just in, in and <laughs> implore listeners to go and hear for themselves. Oh, thanks um, so
1: much. Thanks so yeah, much. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like so it, it, that was a huge benefit of having spoken to you the first time. I was like, wow. Now I'm privy <laughs> to all of this 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 great music. So, Roberto, as always, such a pleasure to chat with you, um, listeners. You want to be on the lookout for America's great. Uh, I'm sorry, World's Great Cemeteries, which is playing all over America on uh, PBS. PBS stations, um, find out where it is playing in your market. And you want to check that out along with getting dot older. Um, Roberto, I'm sure we'll speak again because I know that season two will be coming down the pike, not that long from now. So thanks for your time. And I wish you the best.
1: Thank you, my friend. You are a terrific, man. You're really terrific. You're so astute. You get right in there and you ask that question, you know, and you make me feel at ease. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, it's a pleasure speaking with
1: you. we right. talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye.